good to see you here and good to be with you. Another day of God's people joining together to join our voices, to join just our presence with each other, to worship the Lord, to acknowledge his greatness, look into his word. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for those who prepare the music and those who lead us in singing and worship and pray, Lord, that you would accept our offerings of worship. And now, Lord, we, we pray that you would open our eyes to your scriptures and just the treasures that are in them so we can learn of you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. How do you like that for a description of some people? Isn't the most generous thing to say about a group of people, is it? But you know, who said it was the Apostle Paul. But he wasn't the original one who said it. In fact, <clears throat> he was actually quoting a highly respected philosopher-poet who himself was a native Cretan, but back in the 6th century B.C. His name was Epimenides, a Greek poet, poet-philosopher. He was also credited with several predictions that they said had come true. So he was somewhat of an exalted figure in the Cretan culture. And his words carried weight with those people, with the, with the Cretans. Now, we have been saying, we've been talking about how <clears throat> Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And the Apostle Paul and Titus, as they were traveling, planting churches, you know, just north of there you have Greece, and on the other side you have Turkey, present-day Turkey, where most of the churches were planted by the Apostle Paul, where he planted churches. And so they were traveling through that area, and they were traveling through Crete. And then after they planted several churches along the, in the Cretan island, Paul left Titus there, who was his helper on that journey. He left him there to organize the churches because they were all fresh, freshly planted churches. And he told him to appoint elders. So he was to establish leadership in the churches so that they could help. And one of the main helps that they were supposed to do was to watch out for false teachers. He gave Titus a strong warning against false teachers who would try to come into the churches and basically hijack the churches by bringing them false messages that would build themselves up and put them, you know, themselves as very honorable characters and actually fleece the flock. And basically their livelihood consisted of going into these freshly planted churches and trying to take over and become something special to them so they could get their money. So Paul told Titus to counter these false churches with sound doctrine. They were teaching bad doctrine, and he said, you counter that with teaching sound doctrine. And he told Titus 
that this sound doctrine they taught that they would teach or he would teach and have the elders teach would lead to godly living as they built up their Christian character and they were, you know, new Christians. And he told them things like the character buildup was things like exercising self-control. And you know, Crete was known for having very low moral standards. And he says, uh, have them build up their self-control. Have them be submissive to their authorities. Have them live a life worthy of respect. Have them live lives of, of taking care of their families and guarding their speech and not drinking to excess. And he said the reason he was telling Titus to teach them Christian character qualities is because that's what salvation is all about. So I want to look at some verses we looked at before, or just go through them quickly. They're in chapter 2 and verses 11 through 15. <clears throat> and he's talking about teaching sound doctrine and teaching, you know, what comes from the message of salvation. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. He's talking about Jesus Christ coming, right? And look what it does if you teach the sound doctrine, the right doctrine. You teach the gospel message. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. See how that gospel message that sound doctrine is changing their lives in here. Who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Don't let anybody say, put your message down because it's true. So when Paul told Titus to teach that which is appropriate to sound doctrine, he is saying, teach these new Christian converts the character qualities that should come from someone who now has joined himself or herself to Jesus Christ, who has received Christ's forgiveness and become a follower of Christ. Someone who has been redeemed from all their wickedness, as we, as we saw, and purified as a true child of God. Teach them how to live like that. These then are the things you should teach. Now here is something that has struck me as odd in these recent years. First of all, decades ago, when I became a Christian and Laura was a young Christian, and we saw other people coming to Christ, well, there seemed to be this basic understanding, even amongst unbelievers, <clears throat> you know, when you're talking to them, that when a person came to Christ, they were saying goodbye to this life and now saying hello to this new life of following Christ. And in fact, so many people didn't want to come to Christ because that's what they knew would have to happen. 
they knew that they would have to leave the old lifestyle and come to the new lifestyle. And not that, you know, as we did that, that we became incredibly holy overnight. You know, we still had a lot of things to work through. Those of us who did accept Christ, we had a lot of stuff to work on and work through and being into the Word and other people helping us who were further along in the faith. And again, many that we talked to, that's the reason they didn't come to Christ. They didn't want to leave their old life. They didn't want to, you know, they just had these conceptions of what it would be like. It would be like slavery to turn to become a Christian. And in fact, from the time that I heard the gospel message, it took me a year and a half to finally decide to come to Christ because that's what I was afraid of leaving all my friends, all the things that I was used to doing. But finally, I just had to do it. But you know, today, it seems like I see people coming to Christ or, you know, you talk to people who say they're Christians or they've come to Christ, but they're not leaving their old lifestyle. It just seems to be more prevalent today. And I'm not talking about, you know, things like using curse words and things like that. I'm talking about major areas of life, which the Bible is totally clear about. And they just continue walking in those areas of life in the old way. They're walking in the pathway that Jesus... Well, you know, the Apostle Paul... He said it like this, just to show you again. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think this part is so, so important. If we have that thought that Christ is coming, that sets our sights just right. If we have no thought that Christ is coming, I mean, we may know it in the back of our minds, but if we're not really sitting there thinking about or, or planning our life on the fact that Christ is coming... That makes all the difference in the world. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. That's why he saved us, to have us as his own people, as his own people to live for him, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So when I look out and I see people not leaving their old lifestyle, I'm not sure if it's just a generational thing or maybe I'm just looking at the wrong people. But the Bible is extremely clear. I mean, you can't get more clear than that. God saves those who come to him in faith who come to him in repentance for their sins. And his salvation teaches us to turn away from worldly passions and to turn toward godly lives. 
as we wait for his return. Now, <clears throat> I want to look at the first two verses of chapter 3. And um, tells us the demeanor that we should have as children of God. He says, remind the people, and he's telling Titus to remind the people of the churches, and that'd be pretty much through the leaders, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. Wow. Quite an assignment, isn't it? This is what we are to become, isn't it? Submissive to authorities, obedient, ready to do whatever is good, any good work, ready to do good works, not slandering anyone, not, you know, accusing anyone, being peaceable, considerate, gentle. Do you know anybody like that? <laughs> it sounds like somebody who has had their life changed by Christ thoroughly. <laughs> it sounds like someone who has really submitted their will to following Christ. Someone you're almost afraid to be around because their kindness and compassion makes you feel guilty. And you know, as Christians, we all want to walk down that road, don't we? We all want to become that kind of a person. <clears throat> kind, gentle, considerate. It really, become, it really requires becoming others-centered. And of course, the easiest thing for us human beings to do is to be self-centered. And that is the basis for most of our troubles, right? Because we're just so naturally self-centered. And the gospel teaches us to become other-centered, gentle, considerate. This kind of person that Paul's talking about, peaceable, considerate, gentle, ready to do good, this kind of people, these kind of people draw, draw others to them. Their demeanor makes people stop and ask questions. I think that maybe we don't think or are aware of, of how much gracious, considerate people affect others. We may not think of how that person who is so kind and loving really affects other people. It can be a powerful form of, of uh, evangelization. It can solidify a person's credibility and open doors to share the gospel. You know, in my early days as a Christian, <clears throat> and I was meeting all these people in my new life, and so I would take an old friend that wasn't a Christian to one of my new Christian friends and introduce them and hope that that, you know, that would lead to something. And I've had some of my old friends say afterwards, they'd say, boy, he really is a Christian. 
because they hadn't seen anybody like that. And I've told this before in the years past, but my friend who led me to the Lord, and I knew him before that, he and I went to the same school and everything, and he became a Christian a few years before me. He, he led me to the Lord, and he was talking to me about wanting to go to a Bible college. <clears throat> and I, you know, I was just days old in the Lord, and I thought, what's a Bible college? What can you do in a Bible college? And so um, he said, why don't you just stop by? And so I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I like Ron, but I don't know if I can handle 300 people raising their hands saying, praise the Lord. You know, I was just days old in the Lord. And it was just kind of some weird thoughts I had about, you know, Christianity. But it just so happened, just like in the next few days, I was going over, this is in the Kansas City area, and I was driving over to take a class or to go to a class at a nearby college, <clears throat> a class I was taking. And that day the teacher didn't show up. And I was right in the area of the Bible college. So I thought, okay, I'll go. And I got there, and I found my friend. And at one point, he was introducing me to several people. And at one point, we ran into these guys that were standing in the hall, the main hallway of the school, the school building. And they were just talking. And he introduced me to them. And when he, he said, told them my name, one guy goes, he goes, Joe Cheerhart. And I'd never met him. He'd never met me. But he was thinking he heard my name. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh, yeah, we've been praying for you. <sighs> and that's all he knew about me was that my friend Ron was talking to me about becoming a Christian and he had people praying for me. And this guy remembered that I was the guy they were praying for. And when he said that, that almost floored me. I'd never had somebody say they were praying for me. And so this was a whole different world that I was entering into. So you're walking down a different road. And you talk about the power of being peaceable considerate and gentle and I experienced that right out of the gate in my new Christian life but the Apostle Paul is going to give us another reason for us to be peaceable considerate and gentle toward everyone it's in verses 3 through 5 3 through the first part of 5 And here's the reason that we're supposed to be kind and gentle to everyone, and unbelievers too. He says, because at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We came from that same group of people, right? It says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, here's the difference. It all, the difference all comes when Christ enters the picture. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. 
We have no right to consider ourselves superior to others, right? Because we were in the same boat. Or if we weren't, we would have been going down that road. We're, we were all sinners deserving of God's eternal judgment. We had all sinned against a holy God deserving of his wrath. And the only reason we can say we are right and we are right with God is because of God's mercy, not because of anything we have done. Mercy is when God takes pity on a sinner. Mercy is when you help somebody that's in total trouble. It's having pity on someone. And we had no hope of salvation outside of Christ's death for our sins and for God's forgiveness. Now, you know, some believers may think, well, <clears throat> I grew up in a pretty solid Christian home, and I learned from an early age to trust Christ, five or six years old. And, you know, that is a very, very wonderful thing. That is such a tremendous advantage for someone to have that early, solid, Christian, godly foundation. And nothing can measure up to that. And so that is so good when that happens. That's, that's the best that can happen. But you know, even the person who grew up in a Christian home and learned such good character qualities because their parents were, were just, you know, attentive to making sure that they walked with Christ. Even that person has to be made righteous through forgiveness of sins. Nobody gets there on their, you know, on their good behavior or the way they grew up. Even the person from a godly home has to find their salvation only in the death of Jesus Christ for their sins. Because everyone is born a sinner. And that sin nature has to be dealt with through the work of Christ on the cross. We have to take it to the cross. But here's the problem most of us face. And I had to keep reminding myself of this. Even though I was so thankful for Christ's sacrifice to take care of my sins... And even though I realized, I, I came to realize it was the kindness and love and the mercy of God that I needed in order to become a child of God, I still have to guard against looking down on unbelievers who commit serious sins who, who just might be jerks. And it isn't that I can't say when something is wrong, it isn't that I can't point out that something is wrong. We all need to call wrong, wrong. And there are all times when we have to say something. But it's when I get this feeling of superiority. When I compare myself, you know, as this Christian who's been a Christian now for a long time, to an unsaved person who's out doing wrong. And it's not that I can't say that's wrong. It's when I become disgusted with an unregenerate person and start to feel I'm more worthy of God's love than that person is. And that's basically what Paul is saying here. 
in these verses. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And so we have no right to have a mindset of superiority. And this helps us put everything in the right perspective, doesn't it? It, re- it reminds us how humble we should be as Christians saved by the mercy of God and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Shouldn't we be the most humble people in the world? And wouldn't that attitude if we kept that in mind all the time, wouldn't that attitude add to our winsomeness? Wouldn't that attitude add a character of peaceableness, consideration, and gentleness? And we're not talking about being pushovers. We're not talking about being quiet when something needs to be said. We're just talking about that humble heart attitude, remembering where we came from spiritually and what it took to bring us forgiveness from sins. And that's what Paul's going to say now, what it took to bring us forgiveness of sins. Look at this. It says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You know, our salvation, our forgiveness, wasn't just a minor transaction that God performed. Our rebirth was a total spiritual cleansing. It was the Holy Spirit renewing us on the inside, making us completely different. If you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus one night, and he said, you know, something's different about you. No one can do these works unless God's with him. And in the passage, it says, Jesus says to him, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Now, here's the sense of that passage. Nicodemus knows that there's something special about Jesus, right? How could any ordinary man do the things that he does, teach the way that he teaches? And Jesus' response to that was, You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And I compare that to somebody taking their car to the mechanic, the auto mechanic, because there's some noise, some problem. And they take it in and say, "Um, give this car a tune-up. And the mechanic looks at it, and he comes back to him and he says, "Um, I'm going to have to replace the engine. This isn't a tune-up problem. 
This thing needs a whole new inside. And that's basically what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. See, I think <clears throat> the religious leaders often thought that when they're thinking about making it to heaven, and one guy walks up to Jesus and he says, <clears throat> what must I do? And Jesus said, follow the commandments. He goes, I've done that. And I think the, the basic thought a lot of times was, what little thing do I need to tweak in order to make it into heaven? I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm going there, but I just want to make sure. So can you give me that one little thing that will just make sure I'm, I, I get over the, you know, the uh, gap? And Jesus says, you got to be born all over again. And that is what Paul is saying in these verses. Our salvation, let me go back to that. <clears throat> he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, free gift, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So he's saying to them, you can't look down on other people because it took all this to get you saved and then you're justified by it as a free gift. And that's what Paul's saying. It's how much of an overhaul that we needed in order to become a child of God. <clears throat> Being justified or made righteous by His grace... He says, we have the means to become heirs, the hope of eternal life. Nothing happens outside of the grace and mercy of God. And that is why we can't be prideful of our salvation or our Christianity or even the good works that we do. We can't be prideful. We can feel good, but we can't be prideful, right? And we shouldn't th ever think of ourselves as superior to other people, even the person that's the unbeliever. We can know that we're doing good and they're doing bad, but we can't be prideful and we can't feel superior. And then Paul again shows how by salvation, God's grace automatically leads us to godly living. And that's the point. God's grace should lead us to godly living. <clears throat> he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Doing what is good. Our salvation positions us to do good to live godly lives. And it doesn't lead to anywhere near pridefulness. It shouldn't lead anywhere to or close to complacency. It shouldn't lead anywhere near feelings of superiority. It leads us to seeking to do good and to acting good and to be peaceable and considerate and gentle, which are great evangelistic tools. 
So really what Paul is doing here is reminding us why God saved us, what it took, why we should never be proud in a wrong way, because God sent his son to pay the horrible cost of our salvation. And our salvation cost the sinless, holy, totally obedient son of God the most brutal death at the hands of the most evil men. Those inspired by Satan to do his evil, disgusting work. And because of Jesus' willingness to give his sinless life for our salvation, we now have been given that hope of eternal life. And we now are to live as redeemed people of God who have been washed and made <clears throat> new on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are to live in thankfulness of God's rich mercy toward us and to live as new people who now live by that eternal hope and that, that waiting for Christ to come back, to return and conquer all of his enemies and set up his eternal kingdom. No room for selfish pride, only thankfulness for God's love and mercy. May we then be peaceable, considerate, and gentle toward everyone and always be ready to do whatever is good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word and how you say things over and over again in your word because they're so important. And we thank you that they happen through circumstances, through teachings, through circumstances, through stories, so we can get uh, that those teachings over and over again in different ways. And we pray that your word would penetrate our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that <clears throat> you would help us as a church and as church people to become peaceable, considerate, and gentle. And I know we have people in here that are far down that road and others of us who want to go farther down the road. So we thank you for your grace and your love and what, we've, what we know from your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.